0: We do want to lift him up in prayer. Um, had another kidney um, problem this late this week, and he had to go back home uh, to Erie uh, to get some medical attention. So as far as we know, he's doing okay. Yeah, it's, he is. He's home. He's resting. He said, uh, second verse, same song." Basically, is, is what he said. So, yeah. and and it's not a good song. Uh, that's the, so we need to, do, yeah, we do need yeah. to pray for him. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That, that's that's good of God in prayer. Father God, we do thank you for speaking clearly in your word, as we just attested to in this song. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who listens to us as we speak to you, and we thank you for giving us the privilege to speak to you. Lord, we ask that you will be with our brother, our pastor. We ask, Lord, that you will grant him relief from pain, calmness from his anxiety, Lord. Um, heal his body, Lord. Be with the doctors, Lord. Um, allow him some time to recoup and recover, Lord, and uh, prevent from these episodes from happening again, Lord. And Lord, as we turn to your word this morning, we do pray that we'll be attentive. Um, we trust and know that you are a living God who speaks to us through your word and spirit this morning. And as we think about you, as we set our minds and hearts on you, we ask, Lord, that you will grant us clarity of thought, that you will grant us a focus in on what you have for us today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. One of the great dangers of preaching from an iPad and giving your children the password to your iPad is that when you open it up, instead of sermon notes, you have a game of monkey crossword. Um, So just give me one second here, but you can turn uh, in your Bible to the book of Acts. We'll be speaking thinking about just two verses in the book of Acts this morning, we, as the song attested to it, we just, just a wonderful song that the Gettys wrote for us, not for us in particular, but for the church, and what a great blessing it is to be reminded before we get into God's word, what it is that we're doing. He is speaking to us, that's why we open it each week, that's why it's a core value of ours, is we believe that um, we don't come here to gather to aggregate good opinions and thoughts about life. We don't come here, you certainly didn't come here to hear my opinion on life. But we came here to speak, to hear God's word, to hear God speaking. And that's why we open up the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I do encourage you either to you know, scoot over next close to someone who does have a Bible. Or take under your pew, take one out. Because it will be important that you have it open in front of you. Because as I like to say... I don't want you to believe anything that I say up here just because I'm up here. I want you to believe it because it's in God's Word. Uh, so having it open in front of you be important. Uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 10, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 42 and 43. Um, if you don't know exactly where that's at, it's okay. It's on, if you have a pew Bible, it's on page 919. And just by the way, just so you know, if you don't have a Bible, come talk to one of us afterwards in the Welcome Center. We'll be happy to get you one. If you want a Bible to take home today, you can just take the one out from under your seat today. We're happy that you have that. It, and it, we do believe this is God speaking to us. <clears throat> All right. So Acts chapter 10, verses... We'll start back in verse 34 so we pick up the context. <clears throat> Acts 10, 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is God's word. And again, do keep your Bibles open. Well, today we just want to start by t- thinking about the idea of misunderstandings and how, what a mess they can make. You know, they can cause a m- number of problems. And that's the problems we want to avoid today is understanding what we are as Christians and what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. I came across a story to illuminate this, this problem of misunderstandings of an English woman in the early 20th century. That's the early 1900s. And she went over to Switzerland to find a summer cottage for herself. And she found one she liked and she came back to her home in England. But she realized she forgot to inquire to ask about the, the toilet, the bathroom facilities. Because remember at that time, that only the very rich people had indoor plumbing. So she wrote a letter and sent it off to her Swiss real estate agent and she asked about the WC. See in England, the WC is called, the bathroom is called the WC, it's the water closet. That's what they call it over there. But when the Swiss agent got the letter, you know, her, his language wasn't that good. And so he took it to the only person in town that he knew who could read and understand English and that was the parish priest. But unfortunately, his, his English wasn't very good as well. And so when he got the letter, he translated it thinking it must have meant, the WC must have meant, in his town, the Wayside Chapel. So this is a letter the woman got back to her after about her WC, or her bathroom. Dear Madam, thank you for your letter. I take great pleasure in informing you that the WC is situated nine miles from your house, in the center of a wonderful grove of pine trees and lovely grounds. It's capable of holding 229 people and is open on Sundays and Thursdays only. A number of people go, especially in the summer months, which is unfortunate, especially if you're in the habit of going regularly. It may interest you to know that my wife and I have fond memories of the WC. It was there that we met and there that my daughter got married. You may also like to know that a number of people go to the WC, often making a day of it, taking a picnic lunch. Some of the seats even had rev cushions on them. I recommend that you go on Thursdays, by the way, where there is an organ accompaniment. The acoustics are excellent, and even the most delicate sounds can be heard everywhere. My wife is rather ill at the moment. She cannot go regularly. It's almost been a year since she last went. Naturally, it pains her not to be able to go more often. <clears throat> well, the funny story actually is, is transitions into a very serious story when we understand how serious misunderstandings are. And the same is true, of course, about Christianity, although much, much more so. And we have one simple goal for this morning, and it's that that you leave not to misunderstand what Christianity, what the core, what the center, what the essence of Christianity is all about. And you hear the word thrown around quite a bit. It's part of our core values that we are a gospel-centered, a gospel-focused, a gospel-shaped church. In fact, if you're around Christianity at all, you've heard that word gospel thrown out a lot. And that's what we want to leave this morning. Do we really understand what the gospel is all about? What it is that we're called to live out of, that we're called to proclaim? I mean, next week we'll have hundreds of people in here hundreds of people in here who don't come to this church regularly and they ask you what this is all about? What, what do you do here? What's this all about? Why do you come here each week? What are you going to say? Well, this little passage that we read there in Acts 10 gives us a great summary of the gospel message, what the gospel is all about. And you have little notes in, in your uh, bulletin, your compass there, that's blank. You can just write down three J's and you can fill that in. Three J's, what the gospel is all about. And if you're to look in your passage there at the beginning of verse 42, uh, the gospel is clearly all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Now, it's one of those well duh statements, but I think we need to be pricked a little bit to understand how much we get this wrong. The gospel is all about a man who walked on the earth, who we would have seen him, we would have seen God in the flesh if we were around 2,000 years ago. In other words, this gospel is a personal gospel. Look down there at all the references in these verses. He commanded, he is appointed by God. To him all the prophets bear witness. Everyone who believes in him has forgiveness of sins through his name. We may assume that Christianity is about Jesus. and We may assume that's what everybody understands. But we often don't live and talk like it. We often associate Christianity with so many different things and if we were to take all those different things, all those replacement messages, or those replacement core values that we have and boil them down, they really come around two main variations. That our gospel is an institutional gospel and that our gospel is an ethical gospel. Now don't get me wrong, Christianity is institutional and in that there will be a practical outworking of what we do when we come together, of who we are as a gathered people, otherwise known as the church. And certainly Christianity is ethical in that it will make a difference on everything you do and think. But the common way the church goes away and loses its priorities is that we take these these alternative messages and we make them the main thing that we preach and talk about. So you have the institutional message, the be like us or or look at us message. We invite people to come be part of a group that looks alike, talks alike, acts alike. Sorry. Sorry. What holds us together, unfortunately, only is our heritage, our common interests, our socioeconomic class, our politics. I mean, I've preached around in many different churches and sometimes I just wonder that the only thing that holds churches together is that they're just a bunch of non-smoking Republicans or pro-life Democrats. But when the gospel of Jesus is the main message about us and who we are, then we'll be a wildly different group of people who have a whole host of different opinions and all sorts of different topics but we have an unbreakable unity over the gospel. And that's what Jesus Christ has done. That's the beauty of the gospel and what God has done for us. People from different tribes and ethnicities and languages coming together to worship the same true God. And when it comes to speaking and living out the gospel, we aren't called to tell our friends or to tell our neighbors, come, come be like us. We're called to bear witness, as this passage says, to the risen Lord. And we're really not supposed to go to the world with the parade of our wonderful church trappings. I mean, we do have great music here. We do have great programs here. We have a wonderful facility. And I might add, we have some exceptional pastors. But we're not called to invite people to just come look at us. See, what's holding people back from not coming to church is not that people need more things to do or need a better life coach. As if the modern, sophisticated 21st century family needs more activities. Needs more people to tell them how to live. They can get that at home. They can get that on TV, on the internet, through books. That's not what they need to hear. The reason people aren't in church is not because they're not informed about us. Sorry for the double negatives. The reason people aren't in church is because they're not Christians. And it's only through the eye-opening gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God for salvation... That we can attract them into becoming Christians. We can't attract anyone into becoming a Christian. Only God himself can pull people in. So it's fine to go tell your friends that we have a wonderful program here and there and we do lots of good things. But be very wary if you find yourself talking more about the things of church rather than the head of the church, Jesus Christ. The other way we get this message messed up that we misunderstand that it's not Jesus at the center of our gospel message. or Jesus at the center of our values is we have the ethical message that we go to the world with. Be good or do better. And this is where we so easily lose our focus. The, the message is so many sermons, of so many small group studies, of so many personal Bible reading studies or habits can be boiled down to two words. Be good or do more. And this is the problem with the personal gospel message because it puts the emphasis on the wrong person and it puts the emphasis on me or you as opposed to Jesus Christ and maybe you don't think you've been affected by this this phenomena of replacing Jesus with ourselves at the center of the gospel but think about our Bible reading think about your Bible reading for a moment what is the question you go to every text with or come from every text you read a Bible passage and you say to yourself what does this have to do with me what does this mean for me but maybe instead we go to the Bibles and we say, what does this say about Jesus, our Lord? And this has an effect, this, this ethical message that we go to the world with, world with has an effect on what the average person thinks about the church, what the average person thinks when we tell them to become a Christian or tell them the gospel, come, tell them to come join us. What do they think? They think, well, Marty just wants me to be a better person, to stop swearing, to stop drinking need to get up on Sunday mornings instead of sleeping in. The average person thinks we're just asking them to be better people. That's all wrong, isn't it? Donald Gray Barnhouse, a pastor in Philadelphia in the 1950s, he speculated this, that if Satan took over Philadelphia, if Satan took over Philadelphia, had his way completely, all the bars would be closed, pornography banished, pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians walking around being very polite to one another. There'd be no swearing and the little children running around would say yes ma'am or no sir. And most importantly, he said, all the churches would be full every Sunday. Churches where Christ isn't preached. The dubious danger of morality, of ethics, subtly fooling ourselves into thinking we're fine and we've got it all together. Michael Horton summarizes it well, he says, the central message of Christianity is not a worldview, it's not a way of life or a program for personal or societal change. The central message of Christianity is a gospel. Now you might mishear me and think that I'm saying that the gospel has no effect on implications on our personal or societal ethical choices. It certainly does. But what happens when we're more known for our ethical stances, our political views, the views of what we think that the tax system should be or the administration, what we think of the politics or what we think about what's going on in our township and all the things there. What what happens when our friends know us by those strong opinions, but the message of the gospel is muted? What a shame, isn't it? At its core, Christianity is the story about Jesus, our rescuer, and here in this passage, we see that the, the apostles were tireless in showing that this Jesus does make a world of change for you as a person. So we do testify that believing in Jesus changes us. We, we shouldn't be claiming that we believe in Jesus Christ if we aren't being transformed into the image of Christ. But a passionate plea for someone to be good or do better or to be like us or come look at what we're doing Never, gives a true, never changes the true affections of the heart. Never gives true godly motivation to repent and believe. See, Christianity is all about the gospel. And the gospel is about Jesus. Notice what else it's about there in verse 42. It's also about judgment. It's about judgment. Notice the emphasis on the passage there. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he... Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Not one person, that phrase, the living and the dead, not one person will be exempt from the judgment to come. And that's why from the beginning to the end of the Bible, judgment is a theme. And remember, the gospel means news. It's something for everyone, for every person in the world to know. See, it's not like taking the Youngstown Vindicator and going over to some country in Africa, and giving him the paper. They'd read it, if they even could, and say, Who cares? I don't need to know this stuff. It doesn't have anything to do with me. No, if if everyone in the world, the living and the dead, are to be judged based on his or her response to the gospel, then every single person needs to hear this news, this gospel. The judgment of God through Jesus Christ was the message that the apostles preached throughout their time. Now, I hope few of us would be satisfied with the gospel message that simply says come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. But we are so often at least I am so often sorely tempted to preach an attractive Jesus who connects with people's aspirations, with their hungers and their needs. Want a real and satisfying relationship? Want the freedom to live authentically? Want to find purpose and meaning for your life? Want a new story to live by? Want to find resources in dealing with pain and suffering? Want to be a better mom? Come to our special dinner, our special course, our special weekend, and and we'll show you how. Sure, these things go along with being a Christian, and some of them perhaps are the benefit of being a Christian, but they aren't the gospel. The gospel is an historical announcement about the coming of the Kingdom of Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Lord, who will soon bring judgment and who now calls on everyone to repent and to flee to him for forgiveness while they still may have time. In short, judgment is coming in Jesus Christ. You and I are guilty. Salvation is available through this same Jesus. The question for us is, what are you going to do? Proclaiming this message is what the apostles were charged to do. What they were called to give witness to. And notice how surprising that the text makes this. So you look down there in verses 42 and 43. We often think that the Old Testament is about judgment and the New Testament comes alleviates the judgment. It's all about love and mercy. But look there in verse 42. Who is it that is appointed to preach judgment? Who is it that's pointed to testify that there's one who's coming to be the judge of the living and dead? Well, Peter says, and he commanded us, the apostles. It's Peter, the man of the New Testament, the great preacher of the New Testament, who's called to preach about judgment. And then in verse 43, who is it that proclaims forgiveness and mercy? The Old Testament prophets. So that is the surprise in the text, and One to show yourself every time you read the Bible, anytime you hear someone say the God of the Old Testament is a God of anger and wrath and judgment, the God of the New Testament, well, He's a nice God. You say, no, that no, that's not right. This passage bears witness to that. That God, from the very beginning, has been testifying about the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ, and from the very beginning, all the way through Jesus Christ, judgment has been proclaimed. The reason it's important that we don't skirt this issue of judgment when we're talking about the gospel or understand the essence of what we believe as Christians is because people need to hear this before they can accept Jesus as their Savior. We go to someone and say, hear the good news of the gospel, you're forgiven of your sins. They say, so what? I haven't done anything. Yeah, I made some mistakes. The point is that people don't realize the peril they're in. They don't realize the impending judgment They are storing upon themselves by their continued indifference. Pastor Chris earlier said that there might be some people here this morning who are still thinking it through. And I think it's a wonderful thing to think it through. Do I hate the emotional decisionism of asking people to make a decision right now? Jesus says we need to count the cost. This is a serious thing. You have to give up your life. So if you are considering this, count the cost. Consider it. But the message we have this morning is that there is a judgment to come. My good friend Debbie Havitch sent me a a, a quote yesterday morning from a book she's been reading by David Platt. Platt says this, When we think of worshipping idols and false gods, things that we say are wrong and terrible and sinful, we often picture the Asian people buying carved images at the marketplace. Or African tribes performing ritualistic dances and burning sacrifices. But we don't consider the American man looking at pornographic pictures online or watching ungodly television shows and movies. We don't think about the American woman incessantly shopping for more possessions or obsessively consumed with the way she looks. We don't take into account men and women in the Western world constantly enamored with money and blindly engulfed with materialism. We hardly think about our busy efforts to climb the corporate ladder, our incessant worship of sports. We can't fathom a world on the other side of the world where people actually believe that a little wooden God could save them. Just unsophisticated pre-modern people, aren't they? But we have no problem, Platt says, in believing that money, religion, possession, food, fame, sex, sports, status, and success can satisfy us. Flat ends it with the question, do we actually think that we have fewer gods to let go of for us to repent of the judgment to come? The class we run in Mark's Gospel every so often called Christian Explored has a great summary. It says you are more wicked than you ever imagined but more loved than you ever dreamed. You'll never realize the depths of God's love for you unless you realize the depths Of which you were hated by God before he had mercy upon you. To put it simply, the gospel is about Jesus being both savior and judge. We like the savior part. The judge part we could do without. But thank God the gospel is about judgment because it gives us hope that this world that I see is not all there is. That what I see in myself, thank God it's not all that there is gives us such great hope that God will make everything right, but it also gives us a warning that all will be judged, both the living and the dead. We must not shrink back from telling people and telling ourselves regularly that the news of Jesus is that he is the judge of the world. Because Christianity centers on this gospel message and the gospel is about justification. And all that then frames in the last J there. I'm sorry, the gospel is about judgment, and the last J is about justification. You'll see there at the end of verse 43 that we have forgiveness in his name. This is how we see forgiveness, how we avert or are covered in from that judgment that I just spoke of. This is how we're justified. Now that word justification, you may have heard it before. It's just a big word that theologians use to, to mean to be made right. Now the implication of the word is that things aren't right between you and God naturally. So in order for that relationship to be on the mend, in order for that relationship to be made right, something must be done. And that thing is nothing you can do. It's only something that God can do. And justification has two aspects that are fleshed out in the rest of the Bible. A negative aspect, which means that all your sins have been taken from you, been negated from you. All your sins, past, present, and future, wiped clean. But there's a positive aspect of justification, too. One that causes us to rejoice greatly. That in the place of our sins, God takes our sins and gives us His Son's righteousness. The obedience of His Son, the, the only person who ever lived a perfect life, honoring God always, always speaking wisely, never doing a foolish thing. When God looks at you, those who you who are justified, God sees you as perfect, holy, blameless, without blemish, an adored treasure, because you obey Him always. That's the positive message of justification. And notice how it's done. How do we receive forgiveness? How do we receive that great standing in God's eyes? It's only through His name, as the verse says. So notice, it's not through good works. It's not through church attendance. It's not through charity, helping save the whales, giving to the poor, washing cars rescuing orphans. All those things are good, but it's not through those things that God loves you. And if we focus on these things as our message, instead of our priority of Jesus, judgment, and justification, then we'll lose fact of the the idea that, that Jesus is the one who saves us, not ourselves. As I said earlier, remember, when people think of Christianity and their call to Christianity from you, they're always saying, well, Marty just asked me to be a better person. And it's because we get mixed up so often. I'm not asking someone to be a better person. I'm calling them to Jesus, who's the only one who can make them good. That is justification. And this message of justification has so many more implications beyond simply just being forgiven. It does affect the way we believe, what we believe, and how we grow as a Christian. Richard Lovelace, in his great book, Dynamics of the Spiritual Life, was writing about the interplay between justification and sanctification. Between justification, that word, that big word just means to be made right, and sanctification, which just means to grow as a Christian, growth in godliness. Lovelace says this, only a fraction of the present body of confessing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. So this is a long sentence to say, it is, only a fraction of the people, only really taking to heart this idea of justification. He says, many have a theoretical commitment to the doctrine of justification by grace, but in their day-to-day existence they rely on their sanctification for their justification, drawing their assurance of their acceptance from God from their sincerity, their past experience of conversion, their recent religious performance, or their infrequency of sinning. Christians who are no longer sure that God loves them in Christ, apart from their present achievements, are subconsciously radically insecure people, their insecurity shows itself in pride, fierce assertion of their own righteousness and defensive criticism. What love this is saying is is your growth as a Christian stunted? Are you struggling as a Christian to overcome sin and to grow and He says, don't tarry over methods of sanctification. Don't focus in on sanctification, on the different ways I can grow and things I should do and processes and methodologies. Loveless is saying, go back to the gospel and dwell on your justification. And that's how you grow. So the message of justification drives not only our relationship with God, but our drives our relationship with others. Why do we look down upon others? Why are we prideful? Why are we insecure about ourselves? It's because while well, I had a bad week I didn't pray much I didn't, didn't read my Bible much God, Maybe God doesn't love me I'm not sure of God's love for me because I, boy, I haven't really been a good Christian this week How can God love this person? They don't do anything close to what I'm doing See God, I, I've read my Bible this week I've prayed a lot How dare these people think they're anything They don't do anything like what I do justification takes all of that away. No waffling to and fro. Does God love me? Maybe he loves me more today because I've done more. Well, today, yesterday is not so good. The message of justification allows us to tolerate and grasp the message of judgment. Why is it that I can proceed and be bold in the presence of God? Because I'm justified. And that's what Christianity is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ the gospel of justification so next week if you're around or maybe even today or tomorrow you're around a friend and they're asking you what this church thing's all about or you've got that kind of impulse something gnawing inside of you saying that you know what I should talk to this person about something more than just surface level about the weather or the sports or whatever the three J's of this passage should ring your bell The gospel is about Jesus, the gospel is about judgment, and the gospel is about justification. And we have to have all three, otherwise if we just lose one or two, we emphasize one or the other, we'll fall into the many traps that we've discussed this morning. The message is there is judgment to come, that's what Peter was preaching. We have the wonderful news of salvation from that judgment through the forgiveness in Jesus' name. We lose this message and we're as mixed up as that poor English woman who thinks she can only go to the bathroom on Thursdays. But this mix-up has even more serious consequences than that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says that his message, the message of the gospel, the same message of Jesus' justification and judgment... He says it's one of strong fragrance, a strong odor. To those who believe it, it's the sweet smell of life. And to those who find what I've said this morning, what this message from the, the Gospel, or the Book of Acts is all about, to those who find it unpalatable, it's, it's ruthless and just not kind and nice, those who can't tolerate it, well, Paul says it's the stench of death. When you hear that our life, both individually and corporately as our church family should center on and living out and proclaiming this message of Jesus judgment and justification, what do you get a whiff of? Life or death? Flowers, springtime, or rotting corpses? The question for us this morning is not have you met Jesus or will you come to Jesus? All of us will come to Jesus. The question for us is, in what shape will you come to him? Clothed in your own works, clothed in your own hopes and aspirations, or clothed in nothing but the blood, Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for reminding us that you are a God who does not like this world and its rebellion against you. We thank you, Lord, so wonderfully out of that, that you have given us the wonderful hope, the great news of the gospel that Jesus has justified us, has brought us into right relationship with you. Lord, we pray that we can apply that message of justification to our lives this morning. And that this holistic message of the gospel, Lord, that we can live out of and respond to and take to the world, Lord, Lord, we pray that you will grant us sincerity in our belief, steadfastness in our hope, endurance in our faith. We pray, Lord, that you will grant us boldness and our willingness to tell our friends that we love them so much that they need to hear about the judgment to come. And now, Lord, we pray that you will grant us the self-controlled, sacrificial life to go live out of this message a life that is self-controlled, upright, and godly in this age. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Bury it deep down within us and bear fruit in many ways. It's in your son's name we plead with these things. Amen. The response this morning is is not a response of, of coming forward to do anything else, but to be reminded of the three J's message of Jesus, the message of judgment, and the message of justification, actually all take its merge into the Lord's Supper. This table we're about to celebrate around. This table we're about to remember. Surely Jesus said that when he said, take this cup and remember me by drinking of it. It's the cup of wrath that he took for us and the cup of life he gave to us. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and ask the ushers to come down forward Paul goes on to say that anyone who hasn't thought about and appropriated the message of justification would be drinking judgment upon themselves and certainly we plead that no one is in that position today so as you receive the elements please do hold them so we can take them corporately Think about, meditate, pray that the God of mercy would show in your hearts and your minds what a great God he is.